0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: Congratulations, true crime addicts. We've survived another week. It is Friday, July 28, 2023. This week, how many women did Rex Hewerman actually kill? Uh, A Missing Teen turns up alive after four years, and new updates in the cold case of the murder of Tupac Shakur. Stay tuned.
0: Yes. Super excited. We are all pumped to have James Renner. James Renner. James Renner has zeroed in. James
1: Renner once again drops a bombshell. Bombshell. Investigative journalist reporter James Renner, Renner, who's been on the podcast a long time All right, welcome back with the show. As always, behind the camera, we have uh, my good friend Walter. Say hi, everybody. Walter, good to have you back. Hey, uh, and it's good to be back. I didn't think it would be this long since uh, since we've since we've talked. I've missed you terribly. I was on tour with the new book, Little Crazy Children, for a bit. Uh, did some great book signings uh, at the Mysterious Bookshop in New York City. I was in Pittsburgh at Riverstone Books. I was uh, in in Albany. Anyways, I I had a great time, got back, and this podcast was going to come out as usual in the morning, but then uh, a tree fell. I live here in Akron, lots of trees. We had no power last night. So power's back on. We've we've revived the podcast. I'm coming at you, and for the rest of the year, I think I should be able to come at you weekly which is illegal in some states, I think. Uh, But yes, no, I I should be here every Friday morning, so stay tuned for more True Crime this week. Also, last time we left off was two weeks ago, which seems like a lifetime ago in true crime. Now, I remember for that last show, I was digging around for stories. It was like, come on, it's like such a slow news week. Then the show came out and everything happened. We got the Long Island serial killer, Uh, Michael Turney, was found, uh, was, you know, dismissed. He, you know, acquitted of of the murder. Um, So many things happened. And uh, so some of these stories go back longer than a week, but I I need to talk about them. And there's some updates in the meantime. So here we go, an action-packed episode of True Crime This Week. Uh, Like I said... They did arrest a suspect in the Gilgo Beach serial killings. Uh, The story of the Long Island serial killer begins on uh, May 1st, 2010, by the way. Let me take a drink of this uh, jitter juice. Here we go. Okay, I'm reviving. Here we go. All right. So it begins May 1st, 2010, when a sex worker by the name of Shannon Gilbert ran away from a client's home and dialed 911. On a recorded call she could be heard pounding on doors as she fled the area and stated they are trying to kill me police asked a man with a cadaver dog to search around for her when when they couldn't find her Uh, and he did for months this guy went out with his cadaver dog searching long island for this missing woman shannon gilbert and finally on december 11 2010 he discovered a skeleton inside a burlap bag but it wasn't shannon It was another sex worker named Melissa Barthelemy. The police descended on the area after that and discovered the bodies of three other sex workers nearby. That would be Maureen Brainerd, Megan Waterman, and Amber Costello. These became known as the Gilgo Beach Four. Since then, the remains of 14 other bodies were found, including Shannon's. Her body was discovered lying face up in a marsh. Since then, the search for the Long Island serial killer has spawned books and podcasts and documentaries. It's one of the most famous cases around. One of those cases you thought, you know, like Zodiac, might never be solved. And then, two weeks ago, police announced the arrest of New York architect Rex Hewerman. He stands charged with the murders of Barthelemy, Costello, and Waterman and is the prime suspect in the murder of Maureen Brainerd as well. Um, I don't know if you've seen this video of his arrest, but it's it's pretty it's pretty wild. Uh, it was taken from like a security camera from a bodega in New York City. He's walking down the sidewalk in Manhattan, and there's clearly an undercover policeman kind of walking in step behind him. And then he looks up, and there's like these three men in black that are suddenly are suddenly there. And he's like, "Hey, what's going on?" And then you know. Now, like when within a it was like a magic trick almost because suddenly there's like eight agents surrounding him. they wanted to make sure he wasn't going to fight. this guy owns like hundreds of guns, so they arrested him on the street there. But yeah, check out that video if you can. The cut has a rundown of what we've learned about Rex Hewerman so far, so let me catch you up. Hewerman worked as an architect uh architectural consultant in Manhattan since nineteen eighty seven he lived in a house very near Gilgo Beach. Now that's kind of a high, high price area of Long Island, but his house was kind of this ramshackle little uh, cottage thing. And uh, anyways, he lived very near where these bodies were found. He had a wife, he'd been married for 27 years, and they had two children. Neighbors say Rex was always creepy, not somebody you want to approach. Coworkers have said he was adversarial with everyone. The details of how exactly police finally caught up with Rex are still coming out, but we know that a new task force was formed in February of 2022, and their focus was cell phone data. They took a look at who was calling the women before they were murdered and discovered that the calls were coming in from Midtown Manhattan, where Rex worked, and near his home on Long Island. So they were able to slowly um, reduce the number of suspects they were looking at and that's one way they did it. They also took another look at one of the witnesses, uh, at a witness's report of seeing a Chevrolet avalanche outside the home of Amber Costello. Now, not, I mean, there's a lot of people that drive avalanches, but not that many. It's, it's another way to, like, limit the number of suspects. Rex drove an avalanche. Then hairs were found on the victim's bodies, and those were linked via DNA to Rex's wife. Now, before you get all conspiratorial, it's likely the wife was not involved. This is what's called contact DNA, I believe, um, where the, uh, you know, she, of course, had ridden in that avalanche, right? Or similar cars, and then she, we're constantly losing hairs and skin cells and all this stuff. And then his victim would have been on there and that hair would then transfer onto the victim. We see something similar in the Amy Mihalovic case. This girl who was wrapped in a a curtain here in Ohio and hair from her dog ended up on the blanket and then transferred to her. So, uh, yeah, finally cops pulled a half-eaten pizza uh, out of Rex's trash. And we were able to get his DNA profile, which also linked to evidence in the crimes, according to uh, the police. Uh, and then a search of his internet history turned up searches for the Long Island serial killer. Like, have they found him yet? Or are they getting close? That sort of thing. And then also, like, really creepy pornography searches. After his arrest, his wife filed for divorce. I can't blame her. Uh, I don't think that's in the vows, you know... Um, in sickness and in health. There's no, like, clause for finding out your husband's a serial killer, so good for her. According to Fox News, police are now looking closely at unsolved homicides near other property owned by Rex. He had a timeshare in Las Vegas, which was purchased right around the time that a sex worker named Lindsay Harris uh, was murdered. Lindsay Harris. He also owned land in South Carolina, and police are looking for Connections there between Rex and a missing woman named Aliyah Bell. So this guy, we might not have a full tally on his, on his victims yet. So this is one of those cases that's just going to get bigger as, as time goes by and the trial approaches. Into other news. It's one of those uh, surprising good endings to a true crime story. Alicia Navarro was found alive this week, nearly four years after she disappeared from her home in Glendale, Arizona. Navarro is now 18 years old. She walked into a police station in Montana this week and asked police to please take her off the missing persons list. Navarro disappeared when she was 14 years old. Her mother found a note in her bedroom that said she was running away, but that she'd be back. But her family feared she was groomed by an abductor. Navarro is on the autism spectrum. Since her disappearance, her mother and the FBI have never stopped looking for her. We still don't know exactly why she left or how she remained hidden for these four years. But according to NBC News, uh, Jose Santiago, a spokesman for Glendale Police Department, told reporters, quote, she is by all accounts safe, she is by all accounts healthy, and she is by all accounts happy, end quote. Police are not revealing where exactly she was living in Montana And contrary to early reports, she is not yet reunited with her mother in person, though they did speak briefly over the phone. Now, she had to have had help here in remaining um, hidden all these years and to get to Montana in the first place, right? Uh, So as I wrote this story for today's episode, I was going to conclude the story with, my hunch is that there's gonna be an arrest soon related to whoever uh, helped her along the way. And sure enough, like moments ago, the news just announced that police have arrested a man at the house in Montana where Navarro was staying. And um, the FBI consultants are saying that even though she said she was not hurt in that time, what we might be seeing is uh, symptom symptoms of Stockholm Syndrome, which is where uh, you know, people who are kidnapped come to actually love and um, uh, you know believe that they're safe with their kidnappers, that they're in a good place, but really they, their mind has been kind of kind of warped, so we'll we'll see. we'll see. Finally, on July seventeenth, Maricopa County Court Judge Sam Myers threw out the nobody homicide case against Michael Turney, saying there was no substantial evidence to support a conviction, even before the jury began to deliberate, according to AZ Central. Turney had been in prison for years, accused of murdering his stepdaughter, Alyssa Turney, in 2001. Prosecutors brought the case to a grand jury after Alyssa's sister, Sarah, organized a social media campaign to pressure police to arrest her father. Until then, police had been reluctant to do so because of a lack of evidence. Sarah's body has never been found, and she left behind a note in her handwriting saying that she was running away. Now, this ruling is, is a serious blow. This is a very complicated political case because uh, Sarah Turney rose to fame on TikTok advocating for her sister. She organized what she calls an army of people they then in turn um were relentlessly contacting the authorities in Arizona to demand that they charge her father they did now what we're left with is um one of two possibilities here neither which are good either uh either he really did uh commit the murder in which case this this army and the social media justice uh push um, backfired because it took the case to a grand jury and to the prosecution and to a trial before the case was ready. You know, there is no statute of limitations on murder. Best bet is to be patient and hopefully find a body, hopefully find other evidence. There was none in this case. They pushed and pushed and pushed and finally it went to trial and it was tossed because there was no evidence. So this is not a good example for how to interact with police and law enforcement and the media in a cold case. So please don't look at this as an example of what to do correctly. The other side of this is, what if Michael Turney really didn't do it? And for the last like two or three years, uh, the media and uh, the social justice warriors have Completely convicted the man in the court of, of of public opinion, where you know in the United States, you don't want you don't want the slippery slope with with the justice system because there is the presumption of innocence, you know, until he is proven guilty. And here, we did not have that. We we just decided, well, his daughter's saying he did it, that's heartbreaking. Okay, he 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 did it. Is is what we were all saying. And um, so he lost that presumption of innocence. So either either he did it and they pushed too hard and now he's never going to be convicted because of double jeopardy, or he really didn't do it and they destroyed a man's life. So what a complete mess. Um, I, I do also recommend that you listen to the interview with Sarah Turney's former podcast partner, which was conducted by the Murder Sheet podcast. You can find it on the Murder Sheet podcast's page on their their list of episodes. That former podcast host was forced to sue Sarah after she was harassed by Sarah and this army of online trolls that has come up out of this whole thing. So um, this is not how it's done, people. This is not how it should be done. And uh, this is kind of the ending that uh, results in... sort of action. So hopefully this won't happen again. Hopefully this is not a terrible blow to nobody homicide cases, which are already incredibly rare. um, But keep that in mind next time you are going to jump on a uh, media bandwagon. Um, Those are the top stories for this week. i got lots more coming up. Uh, Updates in the Tupac Shakur case. we got to talk about what's happening with Dr. Henry Lee, too. So stay tuned. Please hang up and try again.
0: Normalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.
1: And we're back with more Doogie Hauser starring Max Casella. Police in Las Vegas are set to present evidence to a grand jury related to the murder of Tupac Shakur, according to uh, People.com. After years of little investigation, police recently raided the home of Dwayne Keith Davis, a.k.a. Keefy D. Keefy has said he was in the car with the man who shot Shakur. Tupac was shot in the chest on the strip in 1996. he just left the MGM Grand after watching the tyson seldon fight. He climbed into a black BMW with Suge Knight. That guy's deep for trouble, as they say, that, that Suge Knight. A white caddy pulled up beside the car and opened fire. Tupac died from his injuries six days later. His death was part of a weird East Coast, West Coast rapper war, which also claimed the life of Biggie Smalls. Keefy D has said that he handed the gun that killed Tupac to his nephew, Orlando Anderson, who he says killed the rapper, which is easy for him to say because Orlando can't testify on his own behalf because he was shot and killed in 1998 these violent delights, as they say. A jury in London acquitted Kevin Spacey of sexual assault on Wednesday, the actor's 64th birthday, according to the uh, the Associated Press. Three men had accused Spacey of grabbing their crotches. A fourth said he woke up to the actor performing oral sex on him after falling asleep in Spacey's apartment. Spacey told the jury that it was simply a big flirt who had consensual flings with these men. Elton John and his husband, David Furnish, testified for Spacey's defense at trial, casting doubt on these allegations. Spacey and his lawyers are already talking about his professional comeback, although maybe that's not what he meant when he mentioned comeback. Uh, This week, DNA testing identified a teen boy who was among four victims of a serial killer operating in Indiana in the 1980s, according according to USA Today. The tests confirm that that this John Doe was Keith Bibbs, a missing 17-year-old boy. Police say Bibbs was a victim of Larry Eiler, a.k.a. the highway killer, who is suspected of killing more than 20 people uh, and then leaving their bodies discarded near interstates in the Midwest. Eiler, they say, preyed on hitchhikers and male prostitutes. He was convicted of the murder of a 16-year-old boy in 1984 and sentenced to death, but died of AIDS in 1994. Genealogist at the DNA Doe Project, our friends over at DNA Doe Project, they traced the DNA of this unidentified victim to family members of Bibb earlier this year. Nicely done. Police in Pennsylvania this week said they've solved the 1975 cold case murder of 8-year-old Gretchen Harrington. Gretchen was on her way to Bible camp when she disappeared. Police have arrested an 83-year-old former reverend named David Zanstra for her murder. He participated in the Bible camp that she was attending that day. Zanstra confessed to police last week, according to ABC7. Um, They say he assaulted and killed the girl, then returned to church like nothing happened. Zanstra had a daughter that was Gretchen's age. They were friends. And when prosecutors interviewed a friend of the daughter, she said that Zanstra had groped her during a sleepover at his house when she was a child. Uh, So this is a pattern of behavior. Of course, police believe it's possible there may be several more victims. After Gretchen's murder, Zanstra moved to a new church in Fairfield, California. Not long after he arrived, four-year-old Amanda Campbell vanished while riding her bike down the street from the church. Fairfield police are investigating him now for any connection to that crime. Here we go. Some sad news in the world of true crime. Dr. Henry Lee may be the most famous forensic scientist alive. I've seen him talk at conventions. He's very affable, very friendly, very funny guy. He's consulted on or testified in some of the biggest crime cases of the last half century. Surely you've seen him in documentaries And on TV, we're talking cases like O.J. Simpson, John Benet Ramsey, Lacey Peterson. He analyzed the blood spatter evidence in the trial of Michael Peterson and was involved in the early stages of the Kaylee Anthony case. Now, a federal judge has found Dr. Henry Lee liable in a lawsuit brought by two innocent men suggesting that Lee fabricated evidence in their murder trial, according to the Associated Press. Ralph Birch and Sean Henning were convicted in the December 1, 1985 murder of Everett Carr, based in part on testimony by Lee, where he said blood stains were found on a towel in the victim's home. Turns out it wasn't blood, and the men did not kill Carr. This is not the first time Lee's work has been questioned. The Daily Beast published an exposé in June that detailed other cases where Dr. Lee's work has been called into question. For instance, the report alleges that Dr. Lee hid or destroyed evidence found at the scene of Lana Clarkson's murder in an attempt to help the defendant record producer Phil Spector. Dr. Lee is now 84 years old. Uh, Like I said, I've I've seen him speak a number of times, and uh, he's extremely likable and a very good storyteller. And now we're left to wonder if his former testimony in these famous cases were only well-told stories. Here's some weird news this week. Uh, So, uh, at the end of the day, here's what I like to do. Um, At the end of a long, stressful day, I like to turn on some Seinfeld reruns streaming on Netflix and um, pull up Hearthstone on my laptop and play some games. So, about a week ago, I watched that episode, if you remember this one, where Kramer and Newman hatched this plan to take uh, bottled bottles and cans from New York City and drive them into Michigan where they could get a higher return for the recycled bottles and cans. Um, it didn't work out for them and maybe I wasn't the only one that saw that episode because somebody tried it in real life According to the New York Post, a California family has been charged with fraud after shipping in recycled cans and bottles from out of state and raking in $7.6 million in returns. They brought, the ca- the, they brought this trash in from Arizona, which is apparently against the law. Who knew? Uh, California offers 5 to 10 cents per can, and the family turned in over 178 tons of cans and bottles over the course of eight months. When asked for comment, a family spokesman responded, Newman! (laughs) Okay, on to to pop culture. Um, I was uh, driving down the road and turned on our local um, classical music station, WKSU, out of my alma mater, Kent State University. And they had all this news about a new true crime podcast, and the more I listened, the more intrigued I got. It's really good. You you have to listen to it. Um, uh, It's called Mary and Bill, an Ohio cold case. And here's the the write-up. In 1970, two university students who'd recently fallen in love were murdered in a Columbus apartment in a crime so brutal it drew comparisons to the Manson murders of the previous year. Their names were Mary Petrie and Bill Sprout, and the case has never been solved. In the new Ideastream public media true crime podcast, Mary and Bill, an Ohio cold case, reporter Justin Glanville, whose parents knew Bill Sprout, investigates the case along with the victim's two sisters. And his parents didn't just know one of the victims, but his father was looked at early on as, as a possible suspect in the case. So I love that immediate connection to the crime, and it's done in a very, very, very good way, very tasteful way. Um, so check it out. It's, it's, a, it's a deep dive into this Ohio cold case. And uh, to the bookshelf. Uh, this week I want to tell you about a, um, a true crime book that's rising in the charts right now. It's called Hate Next Door. I think it's one of those, I, I, not just an interesting true crime case, but an important book. And here's why. Here's what it's about. Matt Browning, an undercover detective in Arizona, thought he knew what hate looked like. That is, until he got a front row seat to white supremacy. What followed was a career of hardship and danger, and what he uncovered can no longer go left untold. For more than 25 years, Browning has been infiltrating, documenting, and disrupting white supremacy movements from the inside, gaining an intimate vantage point to the KKK, skinheads, border militia. Proud Boys and other white power groups as they organized and grew, um, including police force and military veterans. Together with his intrepid wife, Tawny, he adopted fake IDs and ideologies seeking the arrest of its participants, none more so than J.T. Reddy, a neo-Nazi who took hunting trips for border migrants while gaining mainstream acceptance as a political candidate and terrorizing Browning's family. What others dismissed as fringe groups, Browning quickly uh, recognized as large and interconnecting organizations permeating into every facet of American society, effectively spreading their dangerous and repugnant rhetoric at unprecedented speeds. Today, after the violent storming of the Capitol on uh, January 6th, the threat posed by these toxic organizations can no longer be ignored. Amen. In this imperative and gripping narrative, Browning gives readers the inside story of a modern-day white supremacy in America in all its ugly variation, following his dramatic high stakes attempts to take down powerful white supremacists, the torment he faced whilst working undercover in his eventual creation of the international skinhead intelligence network, the hate next door is a riveting, enlightening and essential look at the what, where, when and why of white supremacist groups and how to identify them and why we must do everything in our power to fight against them." Um, You should give that one a read. Like I said, I think it might be important uh, as time goes by. So um, there we go. Uh, Jam-packed. I tried to get as much of these true crime stories as I had missed in the last two weeks in there. I hope you enjoyed it. I will be back, barring any sort of power outage, next Friday morning and every Friday morning for the rest of this year. Um, So stick with me. And uh, in the meantime, it is the weekend now. Go celebrate, have some fun. In the words of the incomparable Murray Saul, that means we got gotta 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 get down. Damn it! True crime this week is a Fearful Symmetry production. Photo and artwork are licensed through Shutterstock. If you like the cut of my jib, I have another podcast you might enjoy called The Philosophy of Crime in which I attempt to solve the big questions behind our true crime obsession by looking to philosophy for answers. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Sit, Brownie, sit. Good dog. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news! Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music
0: plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership.